Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, a professor, and a chaplain, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians to think Christianly about all of life. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Yeoman, and on the show today, we're going to analyze a recent CBC article entitled Inside the Fundamentalist Movement That Wants to Remake Canadian Politics. And we're also going to be looking at an accompanying front burner podcast that they put out. So Aaron, I wanted to ask you, why do this interview and what were your impressions of it? Well, this is the the fourth time this week I've had to talk to this subject. Um, Those of you that might be interested in hearing our discussion on the Ezra Institute podcast, you can do that. I was interviewed on that one. I was also on uh, Open Mic with Mike Thiessen's podcast and also the Liberty Dispatch. So you can check out those. Of course, um, uh, this is the best podcast of the four. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) A little jab to my buddies. No, I appreciate appreciate what they're doing and the more podcasts and articles that are written to get this message out, the better. But to answer your question, why did I do this interview? Well, the journalist that wrote this asked me if I'd be prepared to be interviewed. And I just thought to myself, well, he's probably going to report on us anyway, so I might as well try to v- develop a bit of a relationship with him. I will say this. I I, I personally found my 10 or 12 um, pre-recorded interviews with him to be good. You know, he's very respectful. He certainly presented himself as a, as a gentleman in, in the interviews, and I have no personal animosity toward him. In fact, if he called me again and wanted to have a conversation, I you know, I, I may consider even having that, but general impressions would be, um, I don't think this is a blatant attack, but I do think it is a worldview attack. And I'm not going to judge the heart or the motives of the journalist, but whether he knows it or not, it it really is an assault, another assault on the Christian church. And there's some subtleties, maybe not so subtleties in in the article and podcast that bear that out. It also raises a lot of questions for me in terms of the way it was framed up, in terms of some of the language that was used. It raises a lot of questions for me about why this article was written, what the purpose of this article was, why the language that was selected was selected, why the information that was shared was fairly selectively shared. It, It raises a lot of questions for me, and it also has, you know, opened us up to some nasty pushback from antichrist opponents. It's a reality, right? I mean, people that declare themselves to be tolerant and inclusive really aren't. Um, They're always out for blood, it would seem. And we've experienced some nastiness this week. We've had to hire some security here at our church, and we're going to continue to uh, keep them on site. And we've had to enact some protocols because um, churches like ours or Trinity Bible Chapel in Waterloo have, um, have received some nasty responses from the broader public who've uh, read and listened to this uh, article and podcast. Mm-hmm. If you haven't read the article yet, by the way, we'll link to it in the show notes. Really good to read through that and listen to the the Front Burner podcast. It, in some ways, it's kind of like a who's who of the last few years kind of outlying, outlining uh, various people and their roles, many of the, the uh, men we've been associated with. So Aaron, do you think 
as you read through the article, listened to the podcast that you and others mentioned were fairly represented? Well, the, the sound bites that were included from my interviews were accurate. I don't think there was any spin. There didn't seem to be a real selectivity there. Of course, I probably did. I don't, I don't even know. I, I would guess I probably provided an hour and a half or more of, of recording if you add up all the, the interviews. There was just a few minutes in there of my voice, which I thought was pretty accurate. Um, Jonathan, the, the reporter, was kind in, in that regard. Um, there wasn't really any, what I thought was interesting, there was no critical analysis of our content. It was just, here's what these guys believe, here's what they say, but there was no real critical analysis of it. And then in talking to Joe Boot at the Ezra Institute, apparently they provided a lot of written information. There wasn't any real critical analysis or even presentation of that either. And I just thought to myself, if you're going to spend months and months and months, because keep in mind that I did these interviews back in December, January, if there's going to be a critical analysis of our position, then critically analyze our our position. Um, but so I, I wouldn't say we were unfairly represented. And I would also say that in many respects, the while it was framed up in this sort of the, the, what was false about it, it was, it was as if we're somehow hiding or mm -hmm. getting involved in partisan politics, which isn't true. That was kind of inaccurate, but it's like, hey, th thanks for the exposure because, mm -hmm. yeah, we do believe in the absolute lordship of Christ over creation. Yes, we are opposed to non-creational, anti-biblical sexual immorality. We're opposed to abortion. We're opposed to radical climate change-ism. We're opposed to these things. We're opposed to globalism. It's like, thanks for the airtime. I appreciate yeah, it. Exactly. Uh, interestingly, I was just looking at one of the sites, the Niagara Declaration this morning, and the hits on it were up dramatically oh, <laughs> as of this, uh, okay. this week just because of people going to it and checking it out, good. Um, which is a good thing. So tied to that question, I guess maybe, do you think the journalist was fair in his methods of reporting? So this is where I would say no. When I... When I was first asked by him to do these back and forth recordings, in, in one of the recordings, maybe three or four recordings in, he said, who are some people who've influenced you or who do you associate with? And I happened to mention the Ezra Institute. And in his response, he's like, oh, oh yeah, I know about them. I actually attended a Mission of God conference at your church. And I thought, oh, you did. I, I That's interesting. So we had a Mission of God conference here back, I think it was December the 10th of 2020. So our church hosted, it was their event. And there was room for various um, uh, associated organizations to set up. The Liberty Coalition had a table. And that's where that supposedly top secret document came from. And in that, in that conference, you know, it was an open conference, people could register for it. But it is in a church and we do have signs up as you enter our auditorium that we don't permit photography or recordings. You can understand when people come into a church building, which functions functions as a sort of sanctuary, it's a place of worship. They don't they want to get away from the craziness for a bit. They want to learn and grow. And I I found it a little underhanded to find out that a Canadian journalist would attend a conference without identifying himself. I just thought that was weird. But super inappropriate, I thought, was the fact that he was secretly recording people. I, I just thought that 
that's foul play right there. Mm -hmm. That's a major black mark against you. So what you're telling me is that the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation has investigative journalists that enter houses of worship and secretly record people for the purpose of journalism? I'll just say that's that's gross. People don't want to be in houses of worship when have journalists secretly recording them. There's no there was no reason for it. Like he could have attended as a registrant and taken notes on all the lectures and collected all the literature that we had and gone back and reported on it. But I thought it was frankly kind of slimy and I, th I think he owes an apology to us for doing that. I think that was out of play. And I'll just say this, I wouldn't have a problem with a journalist coming and sitting in in our service and and uh, listening to what is preached. But if I found out that uh, they were secretly recording, I'd have our security throw them out of their ear, charge them with no trespassing. Mm -hmm. So I would say the content was fairly reported, although very selectively, but the methods of hiding uh, is, is, I think, pretty dastardly. Now, from CBC's perspective, here's, I think, why they would do things like that. So they would call people and say, hey, can we have an interview? And the guy's like, no, I don't want to talk to you. And I, they would call someone else and say, hey, I want to have an interview. And they would say, I don't want to talk to you. And I didn't do that. I agreed to the interview after initially demonstrating or, or, or articulating my concerns. But when they pull these stunts, so when you then, when you find out you're now secretly recording in a church, like just think about this. If you're a mainstream legacy media reporter or investigative journalist, that just think about the strategy of your conduct for a moment. Why, why would you do that and then admit that in a public podcast and then assume that other people of our ilk would ever want to talk to you again? Like you're, you're positioning yourself as our opponent. And you know, journalism is supposed to explore the facts of various social issues or news items or weather issues or whatever and just report on them. But increasingly, I think organizations like CBC are positioning themselves as our enemies, and they don't seem to even get that. Um, I was looking at the the journalists' um, uh, CBC profiles even before I agreed to these interviews. I'm thinking, well, the, the last three of them talk about like anti-trans, anti-trans, anti-trans. No critical analysis whatsoever of the danger of transgenderism. Like from a logical and scientific perspective, even if you're not a Christian, you don't hold my worldview, why is it that the mainstream media refuses to critically analyze the concept of people cutting body parts off to change their identity? Like, shouldn't we be second guessing that? Like, wouldn't a normal, conscientious person at least want to ask questions? Like, is this really the direction we want to go as a society? Mm -hmm. Like, do, do we... I would ask Jonathan, the, the, the journalist, do you actually think it's healthy and normal for men dressed in spandex bikinis to dance provocatively in front of children? Like, does this not, you're made in the image of God too. Does this not in some way concern you? Like, how, how, how do we get here whereby we're sneaking into churches to record people who want to make changes in a culture, which really, <laughs> the, maybe the the joke of all this is all we're essentially saying is let's go back to the way it once was. It's not particularly radical, folks. But why why would you frame us up as, you know, secretive and, you know, provocative when 
the trans movement as a whole, by all accounts, is is weird and destructive, especially in its attack on children. And it's an incessant interest in bringing children and young people into this. Now, if you think, well, that's hate speech, well, you can think what you want, but my motive is I love people. And it just breaks my heart to think that so many young people who are at vulnerable stages in their lives, I mean, I remember when I was in high school, you, you're vulnerable. You're sort of in between childhood and adolescence. You're trying to figure out your identity. You're trying to fit in. You're trying to figure out your relationship with girls and people tease and people bully and you're trying to find your place. And there's, there's a lot of that awkwardness and searching for your quote unquote identity in those high school years. And some kids act out on that historically by dressing in weird clothing or whatever it might be. But now they're chopping body parts off. What happens when they get to be 20, 22, 25 years old and they've realized that, you know, life is more than what other people think about me. And they start to regret their decisions, but they've already lost or added body parts. Mm-hmm. Why, like Jonathan Montpetta, why are you not reporting on that? Why, why are you not researching the health, the devastating health problems of homosexual sex? It's out there in secular articles. I've read, I've, I read one extensive article on the absolutely destructive consequences of anal sex, for example. We don't want to talk about that. We use all these euphemisms, pride, inclusivity. Why don't we talk about the actual damage to human beings here? Mm-hmm. I don't make more money by commenting on these things. I don't hate homosexuals. I have ministered to many people over the years who've had all sorts of hangups and addictions in various areas. And I, frankly, I find it offensive mm-hmm. that instead of listening to us and analyzing our beliefs and our views and allowing for space and public the public square for dialogue we're the bad guys somehow we're the weirdos for simply saying a man should marry a woman and a woman should marry a man and you should abstain from sex till marriage like whoa what a weirdo this guy is what a hate i'm going to have to call and leave hate messages on his voicemail i'm going to have to call him a groomer on on facebook You know, this is a hateful guy. We're going to sue him. We're going to come after him. We're going to charge him under this code and that code. Why? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's absolute nonsense. And so it's, it's symptomatic of the worldview that we, we live in, Chris. I, I can't imagine that a, an educated person wouldn't be able to attend even a, a, someone who has no interest in Christianity, how can an educated person attend the Mission of God conference or read our articles and listen to our podcasts and at least say, you know what, maybe they have a point, maybe I need to think about some of this. But you get this sense, they're just completely dismissive of of our concerns, and instead the whole narrative is framed in terms of secret documents and then this stigmatized language of fundamentalism. It's very concerning and it's, it's very sad, but at the same time, it just serves to galvanize our base, and it, mm-hmm. it serves to draw the lines even deeper in the sand, mm-hmm. which, which may or may not be the greatest thing in the world. But it, because I'd rather there be unity in Christ in our culture, but clearly there's not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So maybe talk about the the seemingly nefarious agenda, the um, 
the yeah the agenda that the article seems to have. So, what do you think the aim of this podcast or article is, especially given the cultural moment that we live in? Well, I'm just going to go with what I have seen and read. I'm not going to judge motives, but if you look at the article and you kind of analyze it, it's interesting that there is a, an attempt, it would seem, to minimize the size and influence of our movement. It's like, well, the rest of Christianity is cool with what's going on in culture. Again, it's it's a Justin Trudeau tactic. It's the framing us up as a small fringe minority. We're probably the biggest, if not one of the biggest churches in all of Southwestern Ontario. We're not a small fringe minority down here. Trinity Bible Chapel is not a tiny little church tucked away in Northern Waterloo. There's over a thousand people that attend. There are many more that identify with it. We had 445 churches and synagogues just in this province sign our reopening Ontario letter. Numerous hundreds of churches have signed the Niagara Declaration, the Frankfurt Declaration, these other declarations that are similar to it. So if you look at our county, like one out of every something like 270 people attend our church, we're a small fringe minority? No, we're not. And we're not losing people. Our movement is growing. So I, th- I think it's, I, I think it was, um, and again, I don't know if that's intentional or that's just the perception of the journalists that worked on this, but there does seem to be a, a sense in which they're trying to minimize our movement. And if there's any indictment, so there is truth in it, in, in that many churches are scared to death. They're, mm-hmm. I hate to say it, I know it's going to be provocative. Just like in other occupations, a lot of people are in pastoral ministry for the money, for the job. That's what they train for. They're under the authority of a denomination or board. They're 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 essentially, uh, you know, hired guns. They'll do whatever the board or the wishes of the people demand, or the bishop or whatever it might be. They're cowardly men, and they don't say anything. There's a lot. The majority of churches don't say anything. There's some that I am super thankful for. Not even not even people I necessarily agree with theologically on everything. But there's many brave men out there that are pastoring churches across our country and, and into the United States. And by the way, we're not afraid to have friendships with American pastors. Like, ooh, the Americans, you know, mm-hmm. Doug Wilson, what a bad guy. I don't really even know Doug. I've, I have a little bit of exposure to his material, but I told the journalists I just haven't had time to really listen to much of that, even though from what I've heard, I'm thankful for it. If he has said some things that are off color, I wouldn't even know that. Like, I, I don't, I don't run around paying attention to everything that's going on in the broader church world. But I can say that uh, it's an indictment upon the evangelical church and the Reformed churches if they haven't stood up. Mm-hmm. Right now, I I also want to, and I've addressed this elsewhere, but I want to address this language of fundamentalism. I'm curious why he chose that word, because I don't remember using that word. I certainly don't say, oh, I, I'm a fundamentalist per se, although I suppose I am. If you think of the fundamentals of the faith, and, and like in a seminary class or a sermon, we might say, so the fundamentals of the faith, what are those? And we would identify the triunity of God, the full deity of Christ, the virgin birth, 
uh, justification by grace through faith alone, the authority of Scripture, the second coming, the fundamentals, cardinal verities are often called. So in that respect, we're fundamentalists, but we don't really call ourselves fundamentalists because fundamentalism in in the last probably 50 to 100 years is a pretty negative stigmatized word. Like it sort of draws up images of uh, you know individuals who control all their people in terms of every aspect of life. We don't we believe in sphere sovereignty, so we're like the farthest thing from a cult possible. We don't control people's decisions outside of the areas that the church has been granted authority over under God. Um but fundamentalism is stigmatized. You know, it it draws up images of um of uh you know think of the fundamentalist Mormons or fundamentalist uh jihadists. These are or fundamentalist Hindus. It's a negative word, especially, especially, especially in Canada. So if you're listening to the show from Alabama or from Tennessee or whatnot, where that word might be a little bit more positive, you might be thinking, well, what's the big deal? Well, in Canada, that's like that is like the F word. It is a bad word when applied to Christians. And so I don't think it's exactly a, a fair word to use. And then the again the secret recordings. There's nothing secretive about what we're doing, folks. Okay. CBC, CTV, if you're listening, there's nothing secretive about what we're doing. We actually believe in the Bible. Like surprise, surprise. We actually believe that sex is a gift from God, which is limited to a married couple, a husband, a wife. Under God, like this is not abnormal stuff. We actually believe that. Yeah, you shouldn't be sleeping around with your girlfriend, viewing pornography, robbing banks, coveting other people's possessions. Like, how is this so weird to you? Like, how far removed from basic morality has Canadian culture gotten where somehow that's weird, Mm -hmm. but it's normal to cut your genitals off. Like what on earth is happening here? We're not the weird ones. You are the weird ones. Okay, you're weird. You need to repent. You're the one that should be ex- uh, exposed for the nonsense and destruction that you are uh, creating. So, but the thing of it is, is CBC is funded by the state in part. And they can say whatever they want. And we're we in terms of uh, you know social clout, they control the, our opponents control all the institutions. Mm-hmm. You know you can't hold to my views and be a tenured university professor in almost any Canadian university anymore. And if you do, you got to pretend and hide. You can't be on the um, on the police department or working for let's say the city of Windsor without. Constantly being exposed to pride flags, which aren't about inclusivity. They're about an agenda to force to force uh, hedonism upon everyone. It's very clear. The, the thing about the LB groups, like, give me one incident of where you were actually threatened. Give me one incident of where someone was peering through your window with a flashlight. That doesn't happen. And if it happens, it doesn't happen any more than any other crimes happen. But they don't, they're not content to have absolute freedom, which under Canadian law they do, to sleep with who they want. They're, that's not enough. 
Everyone has to bow down to the proverbial flag. And we're not doing it, not at risk of death, not at risk of social ridicule. We absolutely will never, ever, ever do it. And I would just say to our opponents, you need to get that through your head. You will not win. Mm -hmm. You will not win. You will rope in some individuals that are sitting on the fence or are people pleasers or want to fit in or share your worldview, but you will not win. Okay, you will not you will not beat the purposes of Christ. You can persecute us, you can stigmatize us, you can call us names, you can claim we're secretive. I was called a cult leader this week. You can, you can do whatever you want. Okay? You will not change our minds because the word of God is tried and true and eternal. And all you're going to do with your overplaying of your hand, which is exactly what the devil does. He always overplays his hand. You're just going to build our movement. And so by by faith, we believe that that's true. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to also comment on this in terms of the agenda. And Joe Boots commented on this as well. So I think I've proven by the fact that I took $600,000 in fines for standing up against tyranny. $600,000 in fines, which I actually thought, I, 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 they've, they've all been um, stayed or dismissed by the courts. I didn't expect that. I, I was thinking, man, I'm probably going to do some jail time. Maybe I'll lose my house, whatever. Now, the reason why I emphasize that is I have proven with the strength of the Lord that I'm not in this for the money. Rayom has proven it. Coates has proven it. Stevens has proven it. Thiessen's proven it. People all across the country have proven it. We're not in this for the money. We're prepared to go to jail, and we're prepared to sacrifice everything in this material world for our beliefs. So we're not afraid of you coming after us. And you can you can file all the charges you want. You can coerce and threaten us with whatever legislation you want. You will lose. Okay, you will you will lose. But because People apart from Christ are so driven and easily manipulated by money, they think they can ma- manipulate us by money. And I believe that if even if it wasn't the intention of this journalist, that pieces like this subtly scratch that scab a little bit, that sore that people have. It's like, you know what? These Christians, I, I can't stand the fact that they have charitable status. Mm. And if you look at social media, the, the dominant comment, aside from those that are on our side, is take their tax status away. Take their tax status away. They're not supposed to be political. Well, first of all, my my comment to you is, do you think that scares me? Do you think I'm in ministry for the tax status? Like, are you that naive to what motivates us to actually think that if you take our tax status away, that we're going to somehow cut and run? Actually, the opposite will happen. We'll go full-on political, full-on partisan politics. We're not supposed to do that right now as a charity. Now, Here's what's interesting, Chris. When we speak to the issues of the day, this is really, this needs to be said. When we speak to the issues of the day, human sexuality, medical assistance in dying, the authority of Christ over his church, abortion, cutting parts off kids, whatever it be, these are not political issues. They've been politicized by the radicals, but they're not political issues. Those are religious issues. They're religious issues. Hear me again. They're religious issues. And 
part of the purpose of charities in Canada is to advance religion. Mm -hmm. Muslims advance their religion. Hindus advance their religion. We advance our religion. Now, if someone says, well, I disagree with you. Um, the LGBTQ movement is a political issue and there's laws about it. Okay, well, if you're going to play that game, if you're going to play that game and you're saying, okay, we can't comment on those issues because they're political issues and we're a charity, then let me just throw this back at you. Why is it that in Canada, there are multiple charities registered to support the LGBTQ agenda? Isn't that political? If you say it's political, why is it that they have charitable status to advance what you're saying is a political agenda in culture? It's not. It's not. So when we talk about engaging in politics, which we we have talked about much, we're not saying, oh, vote for party A, B, C, D. Frankly, I think all of them are pretty much corrupt. What we want to see is we want to see Christian people who obviously will be part of churches but are independent from their churches, encouraged and equipped to enter into Canadian politics. Ooh, how bad is that? Mm -hmm. Do you honestly think that LGBTQ groups don't come together and have meetings and figure out how do we get some of our people into politics? Like, of course they do. Do you think the the, the Islamic community in Windsor and, and in Canada doesn't come together and say, hey, how can we get some of our people into high office? Of course they do. Why is it, why is it weird people out so much when Christians actually are organized? Mm -hmm when we start schools, when we start business networks, when we try to encourage people to run for politics, we do that, we're not ashamed about it, and we're gonna continue to do it. We're gonna continue to do that. And I also think that it's, fool, it's foolhardy for uh, the um, state to try to somehow coerce or threaten us with financial fines not to speak out against basic matters of morality because what it then says is they're playing the role of God. They're acting like a religion. And this is one of our number one contentions with regard to this whole status totalitarian culture within which we live. Almost everything we see in terms of the big bills in our country are actually religious bills. They're not even political bills. Mm -hmm. This might shock the listener, and, and many will disagree who aren't well-versed in the history of Western civilization or biblical Christianity. I'll just make one statement. For example, the state doesn't have the authority to decide who gets married or not. That's not a responsibility granted to the state. It's not. You don't get to decide moral rightness or wrongness. What's your job? Defend our nation from intruders and invaders. Build roads. Make sure our people are safe. Punish criminals. Reward the righteous. That's your job. But what has happened in a statist context, and many journalists and run-of-the-mill Canadians have been raised in educational institutions, big cities, and, and um, in a culture that just thinks this is normal, it's incredibly abnormal mm -hmm. for a state to think they have control over every aspect of life. They think they control our health. They don't. They think it's their job to control the climate. That's not their job. They think it's their job to open and close churches at will. That's not their job. They think it's their job to uh, decide how you can use your property. That's not their job. And we're not anarchists, but we are in favor of a government that is limited by the eternal laws of God. By the way, we're not trying trying out for a theocracy. That was a misnomer in the article. Uh, we're not trying out for a theocracy, but we do have a theonomic interest, meaning that we want to see, and all of these words are loaded, mm -hmm. uh, we want to see 
the laws of God that pertain to civil government to be honored and acknowledged by civil government, not to force people to become Christians, but, for example, to honor the commandment to work six days and rest in the seventh. Stop refusing people the right to work. Stop giving people money who don't work. This is something very basic. Everybody wins when that happens. Stop trying to interfere in the ministry and worship of the Christian church. Like, leave us alone. Stop trying to control the um, use of everyone's property down to the the brand of when we when we built our building here at the church. We had to have a guy come in and determine specifically where the trees went and what species of trees they were. It's like, leave us alone. Stop controlling every single aspect of human life. Those are the kinds of things Mm -hmm. that flow out of a proper understanding of the laws of God. Yeah. So when we look at a a journalist like this, we see a a trend overall that they they don't critique or assess the LGBT agenda. Why is that? Why do you think it's considered untouchable? Well, I can't speak to this specific person, but I can say in general, um, there's a lot of money involved. You know, the CBC, we're not funded by the state. People think we're funded by the state. We're not funded by the state. Oh, you get tax breaks on your property. Okay, so we don't pay property tax. Okay, do this. Take our tax status away. And when we lose whatever it is, a couple hundred grand a year, um, then we'll have that much less money to invest back in the community. So now your taxes are going to go up because we're not going to be able to help people. So when you defund the church and you dump that money over into the government, we all know how it works. The ch- churches and charities can do ministry to people for a fraction of the cost that the state will. So go ahead and defund all the churches in terms of tax-exempt status. We'll have less money to spend. We'll still survive. It won't be a problem. But your taxes will go up, and you'll be on the hook for more. So there's there's a monetary uh, consideration here. I think that there are... Um, you know the, the it's very clear where our government stands right now and so whether they like it or not this whole defund the cbc thing is fair the cbc if they really wanted to do good reporting would ask to be defunded if they wanted to build trust from the community they would ask to be defunded you just cannot honestly say that we're doing honest reporting in journalism when you're funded by the state that has a specific partisan agenda. And so what would happen if all of a sudden the CBC came out with an article in favor of our position? <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> it would be amazing, but it would also affect them financially. 100%. The people in power wouldn't like that. Yep. Corporations would flip out. They'd pull advertising. Mm-hmm. Like That's what would happen. So money, this is not objective reporting. Secondly, it's a hard issue. You know, the the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know what the Bible says. And there is a natural bent uh, away from God. People have this weird idea, God is a cosmic killjoy. They do not want to be under his laws. They do not want God to tell them what to do in the bedroom. They want to do whatever they want to do. Mm-hmm. And so there's a heart issue here. And when we say no, there's actually rules. Now, we don't always do a good job. We need to emphasize this. The rules of God always benefit you. Always, 100% of the time, they always glorify God and they always benefit you. 
try out the Christian life, properly live, you'll never you'll have, you'll have no regrets. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean you might not bump into some hypocritical Christians. We all have some hypocrisy in us. That means you may not that you'll never fail. Sometimes you'll fail. And there might be bad churches and all that, but Jesus never fails us. And there's a heart issue here. From the beginning, we have a natural bent away from God, and people don't they don't know that. Mm-hmm. People think I, I, at one point in our interview, he asked me if I thought he was evil. I don't know if I told you that. No. He said, you talk about people being evil. Uh, do you think I'm evil? And I, I explained to him that we're all evil apart from Christ. We all need Christ. So one of the old lines in, in preaching was to say, when we share our faith, when we promote our faith, it's like one beggar trying to show another beggar where to find bread. And so if I have found bread and it's abundant, why would I not share that with my friend? And that's an apt illustration of Christianity. We have found life in Christ. We don't think we're better than you, but we are better off Mm -hmm. because Christ has saved us and redeemed us. So we have found bread and we want the world to find bread. We want people to experience creational sexuality. It's good. We want people to experience surrender to Christ. It's good. So this is a sin issue. It's a it's a money issue. There's also a massive push in in culture to be politically correct. You don't have to be brave to fly the flag. You have to be brave to say I'm not going to fly the flag. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be brave to say I am pro-choice. You have to be brave to say I'm pro-life. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be brave to use the Lord's name in vain. You have to be brave to constrain your speech. So it takes bravery and courage to live out the Christian faith, and we're all naturally creatures of comfort. And sin is easy. Like, it will be affirmed and applauded. Mm -hmm. Fundamentally, it's a worldview issue. I mean, if you kind of take all these things and uh, try to maybe grab a word that would encapsulate them all, worldview issue. So worldview is composed of, um, you know, your answer to questions like, where do we come from? how do I know the difference between right and wrong? In other words, what's my ultimate authority? How sh- how shall I now live? Where am I going? What is a human being? All these worldview questions, these fundamental questions. And the average Canadian uh, has been infected with the disease of Darwinianism, mm-hmm. believing that they're not even made in the image of likeness of God. They have They think of themselves almost like animals where sexuality is no different than you know a um a, a herd of cattle just go after whoever you want to go after um and there's no v- true overarching virtue and values but the thing is is you can't even live that way because the godless draw upon moral language all the time hate inclusivity love these are these are christian words that aren't even definable without some ultimate source of authority, but they're they're used uh, as a way of sort of justifying uh, godlessness. Hmm. So then, I guess the follow up question would be: What's been the aftermath? The article came out on I think it was Monday, Sunday, Sunday Monday, and what's happened since then? Well, it hasn't been that eventful. I mean, people have commented on it and posted on it, and. Um, uh, you know, it's it's not like there's riots 
on the streets or anything like that. I, I think it's galvanized our base. Most people have said, oh, it actually wasn't that bad. And again, I would say what was said about, okay, this guy gives money to so-and-so and this organization exists in a gated community and they had this conference and this pamphlet was given out with top secret on the top, which by the way, I'll say it again. I know Mike Clark that wrote that. It's it's kind of, uh, he's just being playful. Yeah. <laughs> it's not actually like it. a top secret document <laughs> that you bring to a conference, put on a table, just hand it to people you've never met before. Like it, He's being playful. Yeah. And even if that was a document he didn't want circulated, there's really nothing in it that w- those of us that uh, are part of this quote-unquote movement, if you want to call it that, haven't said in public. Mm-hmm. There's nothing secretive about it. We we like as Christians, we want to encourage our people to be politically active. As churches and charities, we will speak to every and any moral issue in culture. Mm-hmm. And we reserve the right to do that, and that's our job, and we will do it. And you can say, no, everything's political. No, you're just politicizing everything. So mm-hmm. here's the thing: the more, if you want to put it this way, the more the government acts like a religion the more you're going to see churches supposedly act political. But they're not actually acting political. They're just addressing the religious issues that the politicians are weighing into that they shouldn't be weighing into. Right. So that's why there's some confusion there at times. Like I said, we've had some nasty responses, some you know phone calls, some online accusations. We, uh, we've been through stuff like this before. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, we'll, we'll spend some money on, uh, on security you know, as a result of this article. And uh, but it, it'll ultimately galvanize our base, and it'll serve to build up God's people. And sorry to say, CBC, fewer and fewer people are going to listen to you when you pull these stunts. Mm-hmm. You, what you should have done, if you're interested in our movement, taking the interview, taking the material from Ezra, taking material from the Liberty Coalition, just said, this is what they believe. Uh, here are the things they don't believe in. Draw your own conclusions instead of framing it in a way that makes us look like, you know, we're a small fringe minority who is having secret meetings and is somehow hiding things. We're not. Jonathan, I was very open with you on in my interviews. I'm not a sneaky guy. I don't pull punches. You may not agree with me, but we're not hiding anything. Mm-hmm. We believe in the absolute lordship of Jesus Christ over culture. And our agenda is very simple. We want Canadians to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and be transformed by it. And we want the laws of God to put checks and balances on human behavior in the public realm. Mm -hmm. So uh, we don't think you should be able to incite people publicly to do evil in the public realm. And this is how we used to think as Christians, not just Christians, but Canadians. You don't incite people to do evil in public. And there's a whole bunch of movements out there. They're not just wanting to be able to, for instance, have sex with who they want behind closed doors. They want to incite people to do evil. And we have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. And you're also seeking to influence our children. There was a couple recordings, uh, or a couple incidents, I should say, that took place this week. You probably heard about them. One was, I believe, in Edmonton, Alberta. Yep where a whole bunch of students 
chose not to come to school on June 1st to protest the, the Pride Month, or they're calling it Pride Season now, I guess. And when they got back to school, there's this recording of this teacher, like just lambasting Muslim students, basically saying, if you don't, if you want respect for Ramadan, then you need to celebrate the pride stuff and lambasting these students and basically saying, you're not a Canadian. It's like, who are you to decide what a Canadian is? When did we decide as Canadians that all of a sudden everyone was going to support a certain kind of human sexuality? I was, I was born in this country 50 years ago. My ancestors have lived here since the 1600s. We didn't agree to this. Am, am I supposed to pack up my family and leave the country after hundreds of years because all of a sudden in the last 30 years we decided to radically alter our view of human sexuality to the point we can't even objectively identify what a male is or a female is? I'm supposed to just, okay, this is progress. Mm -hmm. It's nonsense. So... That took place here in the city of Windsor. I heard a, a fairly reputable account. One of our local public schools, 800 students did not show up on the day that the flag went up in a very Muslim part of our city. So they got back to school, and one of the teachers in the school who purportedly is a proponent of anti-creational sexuality lambasted the students again. Muslim parents showed up with lawyer and said, you need to get rid of this teacher or else the teacher is now on unpaid leave. I think it's pretty accurate, my sources. Mm -hmm. And that, that's what needs to happen, okay? We need to say to this radical Marxist movement, back off, leave our children alone. Leave our churches alone. Leave our businesses alone. We've left you alone. Leave us alone. And don't expect that we're necessarily going to promote or encourage your behavior. I don't, I don't expect everyone to come to my church. It's like, well, you, you, you don't come to Harvest Bible Church? Oh, you must be intolerant. You must be anti-inclusive. Like, why aren't you at my church? Hmm. Why aren't you listening to my sermons? I mean, you need to fly my flag. You need to distribute my brochures. After all, you know, I've received hate mail. I've been fined. Well, why aren't you standing with me? I'm part of a minority movement. We don't pull those stunts. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's unfair for a lot of these groups to make the same demands. And the good thing is they're losing. They're losing. Even I, I hear from all kinds of people who aren't Christians. This, enough's enough. We don't care what people do behind closed doors, but enough is enough. You're coming for our kids, dancing in front of our kids. Here's what history's going to do. If the world endures, we will be on the winning side, and all the fools out there that stood for the, the indoctrination of our children, they will be recorded in the history books as the bad guys when people finally wake up, mm -hmm. because this isn't sustainable. Mm -hmm. So it's always the minority that first voices a concern about a majority issue by definition. Yep. You don't have problems in culture if the majority aren't in favor of it. But when you have supposedly the majority in favor of it, and I don't think it's actually the ma majority. I think it's a small minority that are promoting these hedonistic agendas, but they just happen to have power. Mm -hmm. um, that over time, they overplay their hand, people get fed up with it, and the pendulum has to swing the other the other way. Mm -hmm. And th that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Mark my words, save this podcast, save this soundbite. That's what's going to happen. They will lose. Yep.
yeah, that's one uh, outcome we are sure to see. As we conclude, one of the things that I think would be helpful for our listeners and maybe even the skeptics or others that are listening in on a conversation like this is what is our actual message? Like what is the thing that we're trying to accomplish? Okay. So when you're, this is a good question. So it's like, what are these guys really about? Well, it's hard to communicate an entire worldview in four or five sentences. So there's a lot of nuances to this. But if I kind of go to the center, we are a Christian church, and I am a Christian, and I've been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I know that to be absolutely true. So as a Christian, I believe that all humanity is born in sin, all humanity. We're all born in sin. We've all dishonored God, and we will spend eternity in a Christless place, a Christless eternity in the eternal lake of fire if we do not repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus Christ. So I want people to hear that message. And you know, the Bible talks, well, how can they know if there's no preacher sent? How can they hear unless someone is sent? And we, we are the sent ones. We are Christ's embassy. We are the ones that bring that message. We're not going to force people to convert at the point of a sword, folks. That's not our intention at all. And it's contrary to Reformed theology because that's not how people get saved, mm -hmm. through force. There's a sovereignty of God that oversees it all. So we concern ourselves with the eternal souls of, of, um, of those that are lost and those that are outside of faith in Christ. And it's our duty and solemn responsibility to pass on that message. Now, in addition to that, and not in contradiction to that, we're physical beings. We're not dualists. We're physical beings. We're here in a physical world. God created this physical order, and we should concern ourselves with it. We should concern ourselves about any form of injustice. It should break our hearts when babies are cut to pieces in their mother's wombs. Mm -hmm. It should break our hearts when someone who's in pain is convinced they need to take an injection to end their lives. It should break our hearts when someone is caught in any sort of sexual sin is told, that's okay, you can keep doing that, it's okay. When it destroys their, ident their true identity, it destroys relationships. It brings diseases. We should, we should address those issues. It should break our heart when children are being encouraged to have parts cut off. It should break our hearts when children are having half-naked men mm -hmm. dance in front of them in their schools or libraries. It should break our hearts. Mm -hmm. So the, we, it should also break our hearts when governments are stealing money from the citizens. It should break our hearts when governments are telling people, you know, you can't visit your loved ones because you might get the flu. It should break our hearts when governments are trying to control the ministry and worship of the Christian church. It should break our hearts when one minute they're applauding people that can cross the bridge because they're delivering supplies in a time of a pandemic, and the next moment, well, you're exercising your bodily autonomy, so we're not going to let you work. You can't cross the bridge. Just to break our hearts. And a true Christian will commit themselves to public justice even when the world does not. When the state ceases to, quote unquote, wield the sword properly, to stand for justice, to speak out against unrighteousness, that it's the job of the people of God to call that state to account and say, you are doing wrong. You're dishonoring the Lord and you're destroying people's livelihoods and you're bringing about great evil in this world. So what we want to do is we want to do our part while we preach the eternal message of eternal life in Christ, 
to bring about in our generation, if it's the sovereignty of God, reform. And I know there are many of my friends have a very optimistic eschatology. It's like this is all going to end well. The kingdom of God is going to grow and grow and grow. Others of my friends have a very pessimistic eschatology. It's going to come to an end. But I would just say to both groups, let me just let me just share this with you. No matter where you think the end, the end, the end, the end ends or how it all kind of comes down, all of us, all of us of all eschatological stripes have witnessed revival through the centuries. And I think whether whether you believe this is the end and we're all done for, or whether you think we're on the upswing or will be on the upswing soon, all, where we can all come together is we all agree that God can bring a revival. Mm-hmm. And so we need to push for that in our generation for the sake of future generations. This is our time. We need to push for revival in the social order. And, and in terms of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It's both and, right? Mm-hmm. And so there, there is hope. There, there have been times in history where things looked even bleaker than they are now. And the people of God rose up and they stood for righteousness. They said, stop killing people or stop murdering people or stop committing injustices against people or stop governing that way. And over time, their movement grew and nations were blessed by it. So we have a responsibility to do to do right in the moment. And And the second thing is, it's just the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's the right thing to do to speak out against injustice. And it's if if people think, well, oh, what Aaron's about is he's trying to force everybody to become a Christian, then you don't you don't have very good listening skills. I don't even believe it's possible for me to force you to become a Christian. So why would I bother trying? But I do know, maybe it's because I'm also an organizational leader, that societies require organizational structure. And you have to make decisions about rightness and wrongness in any culture, in any civilization. Call me weird, but I just happen to think the benevolent God who created us is pretty good at determining what those laws and rules should look like. Mm-hmm. So why would I not advocate for them? Why would I not advocate that the laws of God that pertain to life in the here and now mm-hmm. are enacted in our society so that everyone is blessed by it? I want abortion to be absolutely banned. Mm-hmm. Why is that so weird? I want people to be able to enjoy the fruit of their labors, Surprise, to actually go to work and take the majority of your paycheck home with you. How is that so weird? Oh, those are political issues. No, they're biblical issues. They're biblical issues. They're part of my religion. And so I, I have a responsibility to advance the cause of Christ the best of my ability in, in this world, and that's what we're doing. So in terms of you know our, our conferences and hosting conferences, they're just, whether it's podcasts or, you know, and this podcast sort of exists independently of our church, but whether it's our, our, our podcasts, you and I doing this podcast, or sermons in the church, or hosting outside groups to hold conferences— um, it's just another way of getting the message out and helping people to think critically about all of life. And we totally get it. Some people are going to come in and say, can, you guys are nuts. I don't agree with you. Well, kindly, I think you're nuts. <laughs> and so we're going to continue to debate back and forth. But what, I, what I'm not doing is I'm not threatening you. I'm trying to proselytize you. I'm trying to evangelize you. 
Mm-hmm. I'm trying to instruct you. I'm trying to teach you. Why are you so afraid of listening to my message and giving me a fair shake? So that's kind of a summary of what we're all about. There's a lot of nuances to it, but we want to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ so that they're prepared for uh, the next life. And we also want people to live in, it's never going to be perfect. Of course it's not. It's still a sinful world. But we want people to live in a well-ordered society, if you could call it that, where they can actually enjoy their families, get married, have children, um, take care of themselves, be responsible, worship freely. That's what we want. And to those that are maybe outside of the Christian faith, I would just say this. Well, the reason why Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists have historically at least moved to countries like ours is because the Christianized historical basis of the country allowed that. And so Christianity is you know, a threat to other ideologies in a certain respect that has a different authority, a different salvation message, but at the same time, there's a benevolence to it. Mm-hmm. There's a blessing to it. There's a true abiding love to it. We, we feed people food, not just because they're Christians, because it's the right thing to do. We buy people mattresses and beds, not, not because they go to our church, it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. We counsel people to help people put their marriages back together. Not because, oh, we have a, a, a goal, they're going to become tithing members of our church. Some of them you never see again, but we want to bless the nations as much as we can. And people come and go over time. Um, so that not everybody that Jesus evangelized necessarily became a follower of Christ. Mm-hmm. Not everyone that Jesus healed. Sometimes he'd heal someone, they just walk away. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but he did it nonetheless. And uh, so we obviously do a lot of benevolent work, and we do it because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, again, if you have not listened to the uh, podcast that we're referencing or the article, we'll link those in the show notes and would encourage you to look at them and to uh, just look at them in light of this podcast. Thank you, Aaron, for sharing with us and for uh, each of our listeners for tuning in today. Make sure to share this podcast out on your social media platform so it gets a little bit wider reach as well as if you're able to rate it and give it a good thumbs up, that'd be super helpful. This podcast is found both on the pursuitofglory.org ministry resourcing site of Pastor Aaron's, as well as on the Fight, Laugh, Feast blog and uh, their companion app. And we hope you'll tune in next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.